What's up, everybody, and welcome back. This is Dylan Ignacio, one of the hosts for the One Less Podcast, and I wanted to do a short intro to the intro to give some transparency as to why it took so long for this episode specifically to be released. This episode you're about to hear was actually recorded the same day that the previous episode was. Due to the extent of how deep that story got, I wanted to make sure we had some legal backing due to Daniels and I being very transparent as to who we are and our identity. We wanted to make sure we were protected. With that being said, as you listen to this podcast, you're going to notice that some things in the story have been cut out. That was done strategically. It's not to hide anything from you guys. It's just in the direction of our legal guidance. Also, with that being said, talking about legalities, I want you guys to know that the things that we state in this podcast, Daniels and I, are very much our opinions. They do not reflect the policy of any police department or anything like that. And I want you guys to know as well that we are not mental health professionals by any means. So everything that we bring to the table as far as suggestions for you guys to do and try are just things that we've tried and have worked for us. We will have mental health professionals coming onto the show, but as far as our opinions, it's up to you whether you want to use those tools or not. Now that I've gotten all that out of the way and I still got you guys here, I'm hoping you guys really, really, really enjoy this episode. I'm not going to hold you guys up any longer. Thank you, guys. What's up, everybody, and welcome. Episode two, baby. We're in here. We Hi. are live. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> oh, man. So a little recap of last the last episode. We touched on one less, a little bit about my background. I know it's completely disorganized, but it is what it is. This episode, I really want to focus on Daniels, uh, who is a part of our three-man team uh, for One Less right now. You have myself, you have Daniels, and you have my boy Steven. You'll probably hear about him a little bit later on. I want Daniels to break it down for you guys and kind of give you a background on his story. So I'm going to let him take over and just give you a little (coughs) bit of insight on him. And just know that the things that he's going to share have only been shared with maybe two or three people, and so for him to come out here and be willing to express his story that is kind of just he's kept to himself is extremely powerful, and that's just because of how much he believes in the movement, which I truly, truly appreciate. Uh, We're doing this. Yeah, we're doing it, man. We're doing it. And you're the one who said you wanted to do it. Yeah, I know. Like, you're the one. I didn't even ask. You were just like, let's do it, baby. Idiot, dude. (laughs) So, I mean, we're here... um, First off, I want to apologize for our last episode uh, upon reviewing it. Um, it's just 58 minutes of me breathing heavily into a microphone. Which you're still doing. Which I'm still probably doing. <laughs> <laughs> We've moved it a little bit farther away from me, and I'm not feeling quite as sick. So when I became a cop, I was I had I had a beard like a, like a Taliban freedom fighter. I was walking around in a giant, and a friend of mine that had been a friend of mine my whole life, you know, walked up to me, and he was like, man, what are what are you doing with your life? And I was like, you know, I was still working for my dad. I was an automotive technician. I was working as a welder, but I really didn't have like a future kind of mapped out. Like I didn't really know what direction I was going to take my life in at that point. It was just paycheck to paycheck, pay the bills and maybe start a family. And he was like, I really think that you need to uh, look into our police department. And so I did. And it was something that I had, I had considered like earlier in my life. Like I thought maybe I want to be a cop and I, I had tried Prince William County and I didn't make it. And so I was thinking about some other jurisdictions and uh, I just kind of put it on hold and I, I felt like my place was at the shop and that's where I was going to work till I died. I was going to be working on cars and sweeping floors till I died. And I was comfortable with that, but I wasn't um, because 
while I was good at it, I was good at working on cars. I was good at what I did. I always felt like empty. Like I felt there was a part of me that was missing. And the part of me was, it's, it's, I think a lot of people can share this feeling when they become cops. It's they're compelled. You know what I mean? Like you can't explain it, but there's something that you're not doing that you need to be doing and you're compelled to do it. You know, you're compelled to get become a first responder. You're compelled to, to be in service. You're compelled to be a cop. Like, I, I don't know if you, there's anything you can put on that. Well, 100%. Even coming from somebody who didn't ever imagine being a cop, as soon as I was like, okay, I'm doing this, there was this overwhelming sensation to want to make a difference. There was an overwhelming sensation to want to be a part of that family. And I, it's hard to explain it's kind of like it just it just comes over you. You either have it, and that's why you put in for the police department, or you get it at some point. You know, for me, it wasn't right away. But as soon as I got the ball rolling and I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually going to do this, I mean, it was like something just slapped me in the face. Gave you purpose. Well, it gave me purpose. It did. Yeah. Now, I didn't really understand that purpose back at that given time fully to what I do now, but it definitely <coughs> was the kickstart into the wildest roller coaster sure you know i've ever been on and so no i know 100 percent what you're talking about and i think and this is kind of like a flash forward thought but i, I want to say it now before i forget when i when people ask me they're like do you enjoy your job or what's the best part about your job i can never really hit the nail on the head i'm always kind of like well i don't know like it's so hard and like i have to deal with all this stuff but at the end of the day I cannot imagine me doing anything else. And like that is a feeling that I that I cannot replace it with anything. If I go back to working on cars, if I go back to welding, if I go back to working on race cars, it's not doing this. And at the end of the day, this job is incredibly unique. It's you're never going to get the opportunity to do the things that we do at the time of your life that you're doing them than right here right now and in this profession. Why do you think us as law enforcement don't like to see our job, like when other people say that it's unique, and if you look at it from a bird's eye view, it is extremely unique. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we have such a hard time accepting the fact that it is challenging or we don't like putting that out there? Like as in, we don't give, why do you think we don't give ourselves any credit? I think we adopt this this idea of selflessness and we also adopt the idea that it's a thankless job. I know we talked, we hit on this the last episode, how thankless it is. Yeah. And I think the more good that you do, even though you know that you're doing good work, you still can't help but feel like it's never enough or you're wrong somehow or you did something wrong or you didn't do somebody enough justice. And that's that hurt. That's hurtful, you know, because we, we got into this wanting to help everybody that we come into contact with. But the truth is some people and most people don't want your help. And that can kind of hurt because yeah. you're trying. You know, you're, you're, you're really bleeding it out. I think also we just, we're supposed to be the superhero, you know, uh, the one saving the day in a sense. We don't want to push out there anything that would make anybody believe that we can't handle it. Yeah. And so, and that, and that's, that's, that's probably another thing as well. So you get yourself into law enforcement, kind of like me, you weren't hundred percent sure, but once you knew, you knew. Yeah. And then just kind of walk through the beginning of your career. I know I was a little bit of an influence on that. Yeah, you were here. (laughs) I mean, even before that, though, I mean, I think it's I think a lot of people always talk about them and what were your attitudes going into the career field? What were your attitudes and, you know, field training or in the academy? But um, we we often kind of forget to ask, like, well, what did your family think about that? 
or what did your siblings or your loved ones or your spouse, like how did they feel about you getting into law enforcement? Now I am divorced and have since remarried, but I can tell you that my, my wife who was my wife when I became a cop was supportive of me becoming a cop, but my family was not. Um, that had to be tough. It was, but I had kind of already dealt with it at another point in my life with another decision I had made. So I, I kind of expected to get some um, resistance in doing this as, as a profession. The one person that kind of actually almost dissuaded me from doing it, though, was my sister, who was a um, dispatcher for a local law enforcement agency for years. And she, phenomenal dispatcher, but inevitably she had to, she quit the profession because of just breaking her down so much and she couldn't deal with it. And I can't tell you the amount of nights that we'd be at a bar and she would just break down crying. Quick shout out to our dispatchers. Love you all. 100%. Very much. Yeah. You are, are, you are everything about us. It's, yeah, literally. I mean, we could not do our job without you guys. So big shout out on that. So I, and I can only imagine what that's like to be sending us out, people that you care about, into an environment and not sure how they're going to handle it or, or what's going to be the outcome of it. So, I mean, and you're, you're driving that home with just your sister's personal I know experience. she told me that was the hardest thing was when you get the call, you know what they're going to, you know what you're sending your people into, but you never know what the outcome is. And then God forbid one of them gets injured, you know, which she had to deal with a couple of times, unfortunately. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that even from the dispatchers here. So um, shout out to you guys. And also a pro tip is build a relationship with everybody you work with. So if you're on patrol, or a police <coughs> officer currently, roll up to dispatch and just say what's up. You know, and I do it all the time, but it's nice to put a face to the person that you're talking to or that you need the most um, in those situations. I mean, just imagine not doing your job without a radio or a dispatch. I mean, yeah. my goodness. So, yeah. And they're I, important. Not to, not to steal too far off track, but I just wanted to put that out there. No, they're important, so make them feel as such. But anywho... You know, I expected uh, pushback from my parents. I expected pushback from other members of my family. But my sister, you know, obviously is, you know, my best friend. She's my best friend my whole life. And then she's saying, I really think that you need to reconsider or think carefully about this. And, of course, I'm just like, why? You know, this is the this is the greatest thing that I've said that I wanted to do. Like, this is the most selfless thing that I've said in 20 years of my being on Earth that I wanted to do. And she was just like, because I don't know if you can handle it. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm the toughest dude you know. Like, I used to be a freaking race car driver. Like, I do MMA and Muay Thai and, and boxing and kickboxing and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm like, I'm the strongest guy you know. Well, she knew the mental fuckery. That's exactly what it was. She but, was like, you didn't. Yeah. she was like, you're full of shit. Because I know that you've been struggling with this your whole life. That you've been struggling with depression your whole life. And you never once got got, got help. You never once went to therapy. You never once got medicated. You never once expressed anything. You used all these things as avenues to, to kill that off, to beat it. And she's like, you're going to lose all those now when you join the force. You're not going to be able to do those things the way that you were doing it. You're not going to be able to go to jiu-jitsu. You're not going to be able to work out like you were. You're not going to be able to punch people in the face every single day, you know, your brothers, and get in a cage and, and fight it out. And I totally shut that off. I was like, nah, this job, they want us to be physically fit. They want us to keep training. Like, I'm going to be getting paid to be getting in shape. I'm going to be getting paid to, to maintain this, like, lifestyle. And damn it, I was fucking wrong, man. Like, that is not what wound up happening. And we will talk more on that later. And, the, and what I just said is another driving point for our purpose and trying to bring awareness of that to people so that way you can still keep your goals and also keep your career. And keeping your goals is just is huge. And I lost them, and I don't want you to.
because you can do both. It's about time management, which everybody deals with, but especially officers working those wild shifts. Yep. Um, working midnights was definitely hard to facilitate any kind of, you know, any type of activity as I liked it. No, I, liked I never worked ball. out. And so, yeah, it was definitely definitely a struggle. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a, in a different podcast about wellness and how to, you know, tips and tricks and things like that to, to get back to it. But going back to you, um, so you finally make the push to go into law enforcement. Get in it. And how was that? How was that journey? Like, how was the? How did your sister take it when you finally got hired? So for me, it was really fast because our department was really hurting for for officers. We really needed officers really quickly. So. I went and took the police entrance exam on my birthday, and I was told that evening that I was going to be coming to the department. So wow. it was wild. It was fast. Wow. A week later, I was in the police academy. What? A week later, I was in the academy. They put you through the whole process that quickly? Yes. I was like a expedited hiring. I was one of nine. They called us the back nine when we were in the academy. Because the, they needed these people so much and all of us kind of fit the, we fit the criteria and they pushed us through remarkably quick. Ironically enough, I think eight of us are still employed. Let's go. So they put, they, we all went through and, the, and, and I have to say they are all great officers. They are, oh you know, man. I'm, I'm through, a mope, but they're great. I went through great. with 13 and I think we all have like maybe four or five left. Yeah. I have to really think about it, but. We I lost think, a lot. I think my class total, like my our department class, was twenty eight. It was huge. It wow. was a massive class. I mean, talking about that, shoot, my class we had uh, one guy fired. Um, I'm not gonna get into that stuff. Well, <laughs> I'm not gonna get into that stuff. But there were several different reasons. There, um, a majority of the individuals just didn't even make it through the, the beginning stages. Um, so for anybody out there. It is a it is a gruesome process to go to get hired. Yeah, I'll do we'll do a whole separate podcast on that. But that that one alone puts you through loops. And I remember when I was when I put in. It did for you because you had to go through them. Well, it was well a, there, there was a two a, week turnaround for me. Well, we had you know? yeah that it was a long process. I think six months total. Yeah. And then, but the person who was running recruiting was a temp, you know, because the other person had left. And so I got told three times that I got denied by accident because I, I was put on the wrong list. I mean, each time I was like, not surprised. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know? Shocker. You know what I mean? So, and I'd already put it in with the sheriff's office as well, like as a, as a backup plan. So I kind of expected it. But yeah, I mean, that all those things you go through, all those interviews and things like that, and the freaking almost 100-page background packets and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it's like grueling because especially if you have all your, you know, you all your eggs in one basket, and that's what you're really shooting for. Um but yeah, so you get hired. I get hired, and I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. You know, it's like, well, this is the this is the third department that I had shown interest in, but only the second department that I had um, applied for in my in my life. And I was like, cool, we're in. I'm going to the academy. I'm going to be a cop. And I totally like put all that other shit out of my mind because I'm still living this lie that I'm going to be able to work out all the time. I'm going to take care of myself. We're going to do this job. I'm going to be an ass And those demons are no longer with me. Uh, exactly. Because <laughs> it's a high. It is I a mean, high. you go through that kind of process, like as soon as you get it, you're like, yeah! you know what I mean? You're like, I'm going to go get some. Like all my, pro- it's a new start because that's another big thing. Like changing a new job or anything like that. It's always a, mm-hmm. in your mind, you think of it as a fresh start. 
No, those demons are there. Just wait. You just got to wait. Wait them out. So the Academy for me was an absolute breeze. It was nowhere near as tough as I thought it was going to be. I was already in... I don't want to like toot my own horn, so to speak here, but I was already in pretty phenomenal physical shape because I was fighting. I was teaching people how to do CrossFit. I was you know, training CrossFit three or five times a week. I was in pretty shape when I went into the academy. I'm a fat ass now. Like <laughs> I am in awful shape right now. But going in, I was in phenomenal condition. Like none of that stuff scared me. The, the thing that was hanging me up in the academy the most was the mental stuff because I'm just stupid. I'm like Forrest Gump level IQ, so I knew that that was really going to hold me up, and oh, it did, and it, it was, it was hard, but I, I got through it, graduated, get out to my get out to my precinct, and we're ready to do some work. Day one, day one, my first call, my first call for service as a cop in a field training with not even a with not even a field training officer, just some guy like you that they stuck me with because yeah. they didn't have a field trainer. Yeah, our first call was a, a suicidal guy trying to go death by suicide by cop waving a Glock out of his front door, and I show up, and it's it's me and the guy I was riding with, you, and, like, three other people. I don't know these people from, from Adam. This is my first call. And I'm like, all the stories I ever heard of people being like, oh, I went 25 years, and I never even pulled my service weapon. I'm like, day one, baby. I'm like, this is my first call, and I'm like, I'm drawing down on the door. Like, I guess this is it. This is real, you know? You like suddenly forget how to shoot. Yeah, <laughs> everything goes to shit. Just a right home. hand, like. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was wild. You know, it was it was a big wake up call. And then I don't know I don't know why, but like, and everybody says it now that, that I work with, like I am a proverbial shit magnet. Like everything that can go bad will go bad will happen to me. It's gonna go bad when I'm there, 100. percent I saw a lot of dead bodies in field training, like a lot of dead bodies, and like. Having never seen a dead body before, and I think three of the people that I had were alive when I got there. So, watching them make that transition from being a, a living, breathing human being to being not a living, breathing human being changed me a little bit. Because I've never really been a religious guy. Um, I tried to be because I wanted to be a feel a part of something, but I just could never, I could never come to grip with it. I could never agree with it. I always just had my drawbacks, but there is a very big difference between a body that is alive and a body that is dead. And I think that like, I, I got some form of spirituality by looking at that so many times because it's like, you can almost, I don't want to say this and like people think I'm an idiot, but like you can almost watch the soul leave somebody like when they die, because it's just amazing when you look at when you look at somebody that's alive, and then they're gone, and then it's just a vessel, you know, and there's no there's no soul there anymore. So I, I don't know what you want to call that. I just know for me, it's just it, I, I'm definitely spiritual because I've seen that so much. The two most messed up scenes I'd ever been on were both suicides, and one, the lady was hanging in the bathroom. You know, and then the medics have the nerve to ask me to hold her while they cut her down. Yeah. And I'm like, absolutely not. And the only reason I said no is because I have this irrational fear that somebody's going to come back to life. And I was like, I'm going to be holding her and she's going to start biting my neck. Jesus Christ. I, I, it's, I know. It's so irrational. I don't know if it's just from zombie movies. Like, legit, <laughs> that's a fear of mine. Legit. And then the other one that I saw, I mean, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. We get a call, weapon violation at a hotel. We get there. I'm like fourth on scene. 
the hotel's huge. It's got a whole bunch of different subsections in it. The whole team that had rifles and shields went the wrong way. Not not that they knew, because you just wouldn't know unless somebody pointed you in the right direction. Sure. So it ended up being myself and a sergeant, because the security was at the front going, no, 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 you got to go this way. We run in there. We announce. The door's already open. We announce. The wife comes running out, covered in blood. We go into clear, and I mean, this. he was still moving. Like his face, you know? Mm-hmm. Is that rigor mortis? Is that what it's called? Well, that's after death has set in pretty heavily, and they're oh, like okay. they're like rigid. Oh, okay, never mind. That wrong term, but I don't know. But he was still moving. He's clearly, clearly not a scientist, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I just heard it in a rap video, and I just thought, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I was listening to like Rick Ross, and he was like, you know. Anyways, I thought that's how that word was. But anyways, so he's there, gun still in his hand. I mean, he had clearly shot himself um, in the mouth, but he was still like twitching. But he was still like twitching, moving, and. I don't remember if it was me or the sergeant, but somebody said, it's all right, buddy. You're going to be all right. And I don't know if it was me. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was me because I was just so shocked at what I was looking at. And because he was still moving, mm-hmm. I thought there was chance of life. But really, that was just the nerves. I mean, and then as I look up on the wall, there's brain matter everywhere. Half of his face is, you know, disconnected from his body. So... Was this your first one? Was this your first death? That wasn't my first death, but that was my first uh, gunshot inflicted death. death. Okay. And that is a whole different game. It is, it really game. is. I mean, DOAs, like, as sad as they are, like with the family there, and, you know, usually when we get there, it's it's not suspicious, and it's, you know, it's just a, like, we still have to roll the body. And Natural causes. It. I still don't like it. I mean, my dad, I that was the one thing I asked him when I became a cop. I was like, how do you... How do you deal with all the dead bodies? And his advice was, you ever seen a dead body hurt somebody? True. And I was like, no. But I still have this irrational fear that they're going to not to make light of a dark situation, but I have like this very irrational fear that like the body's going to come back to life. I'm, I'm sure. I don't, get, I don't like getting close to dead bodies. It's just not. I'm sure there's more than one person out there that feels the way you do. I'm How, sure. However, I, I can't share that. <laughs> <laughs> just freaks me out. My first body was a jumper, um, a suicide jumper, and it was like off. 22 storage or something like uh, that. I know. I remember that one. So, and this was also in training, obviously. Um, he hit with such impact that I, when I walked up to the body, I thought it was a child because the, the, his body had compressed so much from the impact and obviously matter of all sorts was everywhere. This was like my fifth day on the job, sixth day on the job. And then there was just, obviously I had, I went to a number of death scenes that were gruesome in nature throughout training and i thought it was just normal yeah know? well that's what i thought because i was like i mean everybody else is walking around here like and i'm petrified yeah. you know i'm like yeah. uh you know and i talked to like people that are also in training they're like oh i haven't even had a doa yet and i'm like i'm all like nine you know yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever man i saw a lot of dead people in training i'm not saying that's why i'm up i'm about to tell you why i'm fucked up and and how all how all that kind of came unraveled for me so I get out of field training. I'm in it, man. I had some phenomenal trainers. They really changed. They changed my life, man. I mean, you and two other. I'll say three other people specifically really changed my changed my life and and made me realize that this job been awesome. And we were gonna go out there and we were gonna get some dope. We were gonna get people that had warrants. We were gonna get. We were gonna arrest bad guys. Like I was in it to win it. So we get out. And we're doing it, man. We're midnights, running dirty every night. I'm, I'm pumping beats as soon as I get into the car, getting psyched up. And we ran from, 
from sundown to sunup, you know, because it was like 8 p.m. to like 8 a.m., 9 a.m. in the mornings. It was wonderful. It was it was the best six months of my life. It really was. But in that six months, because I spent six months on midnights and then I went to evening shift for like a year and a half, two years. Midnights, we went to a lot of bad calls, man, like a lot of really rough calls. But we had two that, um, there were two that we went to that really us up. And I say us because I feel bad for like my academy class because it wasn't just me that had it rough. They were there with me. You know, we, we as a group all got cut loose to like almost the same shift. So in dealing with these like events, it was really us as a, as a unit that had to deal with these. So I, I am telling my story now, like and how it affected me, but I'm speaking on behalf of my academy class because they, they were there with me as well. And there were other officers there also. But for, for kids that have just been cut loose and hit the streets, it was a lot to process in a really short amount of time. I'm sure. And in that moment, you just, you do honestly feel like it must be natural. That's how you process it. Yeah. You go through it. And then honestly, a lot of times, as messed up as it sounds, you and the guys joke about it. You know, everybody meets up afterwards about what they experienced as messed up as it is. Try to make a joke of it. Just to like have some type of positive insight on what happened, even though, like in a negative way, and then you just keep rolling. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. get to like see that body and then go home. No, you still got ten hours left in your shit, boy. You know what I mean? Hold like you don't get stuff like that. I mean, I remember specifically dealing with a rape case, but it wasn't in our jurisdiction. So I go to the hospital and the girl is there, and she—I mean, it was—it was bad. They found her like over on a parkway, like in the woods. Oh, fuck that. That's... Yeah. Like, he left her there, and she was all... And Gang shit? I, no, I never really got the details, because I just was there to confirm an offense and then have the jurisdiction come through. So, I get to the hospital, and it was one of those where she... And I've noticed this. You either have individuals who don't want to say anything or individuals who want to say it tell, all. Tell you the world. And yeah. she was in that state where she was so traumatized, you could see it in her eyes, God damn it. that she wanted to tell me everything. And I was like, you don't have to tell me everything, just certain key aspects but she wanted somebody to hear it. And so... Word vomit. Right. And so that... She gives me all that. And then I, of course, relay that. And after I relay that, the I wait till the officer gets here who's going to be investigating it from another jurisdiction, and then I go mark in service. Yeah. Because that's it. And then I get dispatched to a priority one, which means lights and siren, a domestic call, like boyfriend versus girlfriend. What do you think is going through my head? Same shit. Oh, I'm trying to mess that guy up. Yeah. So when I get there, I'm about to, you know what I mean? You probably wound up arresting the girl, right? <laughs> he got arrested, but it didn't really happen the way that she, like the way that it had been put out there. Yeah. We thought that she got like sincerely beat. And especially after what I just experienced. It's hard to just get over it quickly and then clear your mind for the next call. You I know? remember specifically all the way there because it was a decent ride. It was on the opposite end of the city. All the way there, I'm like, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. That's my whole mentality. And then right as I take the exit off the highway, something in my head goes, you need to relax. Yeah. You, you cannot go break into that like up, this. Break up that tunnel vision. Exactly. I don't know how that came about. I'm blessed for, for that happening. You know what I mean? Because I would have went in there in a whole different mentality. I get there, and like you know, it ended up being kind of BS. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a strong case. Like, he got arrested but it was because it, it, it met the cups of the law. Sure. But like, it was sure. like, it was very, 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 it was a very petty case. He you said, know? she said. Exactly. It wasn't even like that. You know what I mean? So, you know, if I would have went in there hot-headed, 
it would have been a whole different environment. And I think that that's something that most people yeah, don't realize. You, you is we create. Don't get, we don't get the break. No. You know what I mean? You don't get the break. I actually took pride in that, though, a little bit of being very aware from call to call where my where my mentality was. Because I never really had, in, until the recent years, had a lot of respect for myself. Yeah. But I never, and I made this promise to myself when I got in the police department, that I was never going to let my mentality affect the people I came into contact with. My big mission was, as corny as it sounds, is getting people to love and like the police. That was like my main mission from getting started like one, like in law enforcement. Because I had something unique, I thought I had something unique to bring to the table, which is my background and, you know, going literally from living one side of the spectrum to another. And so I took pride in that, in that moment. That didn't make, I mean, it didn't make me feel any better about myself, but I took pride in the fact that I was conscious about being able to, which a lot of people don't have that because we don't, it's not something that you actively think about, but having control over my emotions when it comes to bouncing call to call. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I know it took me a while because, and this is why I, I, I joined this team with you and wanted to do this with you because I believe in you and I believe in your ability to speak to people and to impact people's lives because I've watched you do it throughout your whole career. And it's something that I didn't do very well and I'm, I self-admittedly, you know, was really bad at juggling the calls and juggling my personal life with my work life and I brought a lot of stuff with me that I shouldn't have. More, more on that in a bit. I'll, I'll, I'll crawl back here. We're still coming down this, you know, this I want to bring slope. it back to... I want to I want to rebring this direction back to now you're cut loose. You've experienced all these things. You're speaking on behalf of of everyone else who was in that with you. And and now you're now you're out there running a gun and you're enjoying life. What since you were clearly enjoying the job itself. Yeah, I was. I really was. What was going on? Was there something else going on outside of work? Well, my marriage was failing. I had kind of said, like in the last episode, about how the importance of keeping your like home together and clean and and upright, and uh, I fucked that up. And I and it was it's it takes two to tango, I guess. And one of the things that I noticed when I became a cop was I wasn't home every night, and I wasn't home a lot. And when I wasn't home, my home life fell apart because I wasn't there to keep it standing. And that's probably a little bit all my fault too, because I didn't care enough to to direct my attention on things that needed to be addressed at home because I was too busy, busy either sleeping, drinking, or thinking about work. And for that, I let my home life dissolve. My marriage was dissolving for a variety of reasons, but I didn't really do anything to make it any better. If anything, I did it, I did things to make it worse because I probably wanted it to end because I had enough. The, the relationship that we had in my eyes wasn't doing anything to benefit my law enforcement career. So I was like, fuck it, if this isn't gonna help, then I'll start over with something else or have nothing because I'm, I'm probably better off alone than I am with somebody. That was like the attitude that I had. And I had growing up as like a depressed kid, you know, whatever. I got really comfortable with being alone and I actually preferred being alone. So at that point when the threat of divorce and solitude was like prevalent, I could give a shit, you know, take your shit and go and I'll, I'll keep going. I didn't realize that there were two really big incidents that kind of like spawned a lot of these feelings. And it was an, an active shooter that we had um, in our jurisdiction that I responded to. I was very tight on the scene. 
and how to do some, you know, life-saving maneuvers on some people. And then we had another incident not long after where an officer of mine, a teammate of mine, a friend of mine, a family member of mine, uh, somebody that I love very much to this day, and I, and I did when we were on patrol, was injured very, very badly um, as a result of an ambush-style attack. And uh, I, I kept a lot of fault for that because it was my call. You know, I was supposed to go to that, not, not this officer. That should have been me there, not not her, not her. We continuously do that to ourselves. You know that, right? Yeah, I know. We do that to ourselves repeatedly. I literally just had one of our new recruits reach out to me and say that he watched somebody die right in front of him, and he thinks that if he would have got there sooner. Whoop! Don't worry about that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> nice ringtone. Thanks. <laughs> well, that was a uh, that's a call out. Oh, it's a call out. Yeah. Oh, we're good. It's not us. It's not, it's not us. us. Keep going. <clears throat> I had a recruit reach out and. He said, look, I, you know, I went to my first death case. I mean, he's new, too. I mean, they're, yeah. what, two weeks into training now? And he said, I got there. The whole family was there. And medics were trying to resuscitate him as we're there. But I think that if I would have got there earlier, it, I would have been able to save him. And I'm like, you cannot put those burdens on yourself. That yeah, day. and we do it. We know, do it constantly. because we can't help it because in our mind, it comes back to the hero complex. You know what I mean? comes back to the hero complex. Mm-hmm. Really, that's what it comes down to. We want to be everywhere, and if something doesn't go the way that we want it to go, we blame ourselves for it because we're supposed to be the person saving everyone. Yes. And that is the hardest thing to deal with. I will say that internally, that is the hardest thing to deal with, especially with the experience between me and you, which led you to getting injured. That fucked yeah, with me we'll, we'll talk about time. that. That's on my list here. You know, I mean, we'll get down to that, but that... that eats at me heavy yeah but that wasn't your fault that wasn't your fault man there was nothing you could i I know that but like it's like i could have went to jail too i know but i I knew it was hostile i mean yeah i rest assured that the deputies would have had your back but like i was like man i could have been in there yeah do you know what i mean i i don't know so we literally do that to ourselves and we will continue to do that to ourselves until we become become conscious of the fact that and I, it's a big belief system for me is things happen the way they happen because that's the way they're supposed to happen. That's the way that I rationalize a lot of stuff. I mean, some people don't agree with me on that. They think it's like too easy of an out. But I believe that everything specifically happens for a reason. And I am mm-hmm. spiritual in the fact that there's somebody, there's somebody pulling the strings. And, and we might not know in the moment that we're going through why we're going through it or can explain it or why anybody would put us through this. But I can say just from the birth of this podcast, none of this would have happened if my background wasn't exactly the way it was. Sure. Everything, everything that we've ever done, experienced, been through, accomplished, has led us to this moment right here. And I, I understand that, they, that everything happens for a reason, but unfortunately there are things that I still wish, you know, would have went differently and um, the people involved weren't involved and, uh, Sue, I love you, girl. You know, you're you're one of my best friends. You've always been one of my best friends. And I will take that to my grave. I will always, I will always feel responsible and uh, remorseful for that. Nobody deserves that. No. Especially somebody who comes into this profession with the intention to do good. I, I don't know. So this is when it all started coming apart for me. And I'm not really cognizant of it, that it's actually happening. But, um, she's hurt. She's out of the game. 
I'm still in it. And this is when I started drinking. I was already drinking before. I'd been drinking since I was old enough to drink. But now, obviously, now obviously, I was drinking for another reason because I was having nightmares and I wasn't able to sleep. And I was drinking for the wrong reasons. And um, when that happened to her, that, that, that it definitely started getting worse. And then my marriage also started to implode. My marriage is already failing. But um, it's sometimes it's hard for somebody, including your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, to understand why you're feeling a certain way about another woman. And that was another reason why my marriage failed was because I was devastated with what happened to her. And now I have a wife asking, starting to think that maybe something was going on when nothing was. It was just she was one of my best friends. And I thought she was a phenomenal officer. And um, I just took it really hard because I felt responsible. But obviously that's not good enough for some people. So, yeah. This is like a story you'd think you'd be hearing from like a 25-year-old veteran. No, this stuff happens early. This stuff happens in the beginning of career. I happened in my first three years of law enforcement. So, you know, keep that in mind. You don't have to serve a full 20, you know, for you to for you to fall down that hole. It happens rather quickly. And it all depends because you can't handle the, you can't determine where, where the streets are gonna take you. There's some people who never have to pull their gun out their whole entire career. And there's some that do it within their first, their day on the job, mm-hmm. you know, so. And, it's just, you know, I mean, we're going to keep drilling this, but you got to be looking out for each other. I mean, that's, that's the big one. That, that's, that's huge. Was able to identify it. I would rather ask somebody and be wrong than risk not asking and then lose somebody. All day. And All day. No, it is never, nothing, nothing is ever worth losing somebody. No. Nothing. Yeah. And we can, it's all preventable. It's, it's, I mean, it, now that like I've been down that fin rabbit hole and like, I know what it's like to, to want to die for no reason and to try and climb out of that and still struggle with these like thoughts. I feel like it's give the only thing that I've gained is this ability that I can look at somebody and I'm like, they're, they're, they're doing it. They're feeling it's like it. It's like a sixth sense. It's like a sixth sense. It really is. Before. It's you crazy. You kind of just know. What's going on? Or they make a comment. If you have a relatable thing with somebody, even before talking, you can read it. And I feel like once you've been down that hole, you can you can tell. I had a, an officer. Um, sorry for the long pause there. We're, we're, it's just a, a lot. To, I'm talking a lot today because in this podcast, I'm kind of like a silent partner in this whole thing. Like I'm probably not going to be doing much talking after today because I believe in Dylan and I believe in the people that he has assembled to come on this show and talk on our behalf and to talk on and to talk on the issues of law enforcement related mental health issues and to talk about erasing this stigma and to talk about us moving forward as first responders. So like I'm using this episode as my way to kind of word vomit my life's experiences as to what brought me here. And then I'm going to shut the f- and let him do his thing. Cause I believe in him and I believe that through him, he can get shit done and help us out. And I'm just using today as like, this is why I'm here, and this is why I believe in this movement. The big thing with this is just like you guys are probably tuning in. Majority of you guys are not going to know who we are, and we're trying to build some credibility. But just know that some of the things that we're talking about, this is the first time it's being released to the to the public. These aren't things that have been like I'm a little bit more open 
But I know for Daniels, like this has been something that he's been keeping with himself and in a close circle. And so for him to come out about something like that, it's because of how much we believe in the mission. We're not going to be hypocrites and ask people to reach out when we won't do the same. And so it's key that you guys really understand where we're coming from. And so that you see how pure our intentions are, because our hope is that this podcast will and will instill some trust in our listeners so that when we bring out methods for how to overcome this shit, you actually listen and you put them into place and you actually reach out and you get the help that you need. And not ju- you don't have to just be experiencing. There are plenty of people who are dealing with issues that have not met the cuffs of being suicidal. This is for anybody. This is for anybody. We are focusing on first responders and, and law enforcement because that's where our specialty is that's right what now. We do. That's what we do. And I'm tired of seeing more officers get killed by themselves than in the line of duty, period. 100%. I'm tired of it. They have to expand the wall. Amen. You know what I mean? I mean, it's that's just it. like, what? And so it, it, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I, I'm just like, I'm like, somebody's got to do something. I just want to do it. I'm not going to feel right if I don't. And Daniel feels the same way. We're both here for everybody. As many people as we can facilitate. We don't turn people down. It's one less. I, this is a lot. And, and the reason why I'm taking up so much time, and I like to think that our officers have a good opinion of me. And I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. No, they do. And I, uh, I know this for a fact that they do, because... And when I told, I've told people that we partnered, mm-hmm. you're seen in a very positive light. And actually, ironically, I am too, even though I don't, there's times where I don't feel like I deserve that I should be seen in a positive light. Because I know for a fact that when I first started in this career path and with the insecurities that I was dealing with and some that I still deal with, I, people are not being treated, treated the way they need to be treated. And it wasn't me treating the public unfairly. It was me treating other officers unfairly expecting everybody to solve my problems. And that is a very real thing that I did. Not everything that I did was intentional or I even knew I was doing. You have to know that for us to come on here and talk about this means that we have done a lot of reflecting. Yes. We have done a lot of reflecting. This is the only reason I've been able to piece together bits and pieces of my life as early as like just my childhood and these insecurities that have snowballed over the past 27 years of my life that led to the thoughts of killing myself. And now that I've been able to get myself in a way better place, bringing those to you guys and letting you know that you're not alone, that you're not the only one dealing with these things, that there's people out here that really care about you. And we want you to refocus on your purpose so that you can go out there as somebody that every day, and not to be corny, but every day goes out there and with the potential of not coming home, you're running into fire. You deserve to be happy when you're not working. When you put that badge down, you deserve to live a lifestyle that is comfortable and secure. But we don't allow that to happen for ourselves because we don't want to turn it off. When we get home, I remember wishing something would happen in a bad way. I remember getting home because I live in one of our low-income housing areas. I remember getting home. How crazy would it be if there was a shooting right now? I'd rather be involved in a shooting than sit in my own brain at that point. When I parked my car today when I got here, do you know what fin- alley this is? Yeah. 
You know? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. This was the yellow brick road of shell casings about two yes. years ago, big dog. Yes. Run, run back, run back. I was sitting out there with management. We are going back and forth, and we there was a bunch of officers that were just here because some lady uh, stabbed her husband... That's right. Because she That's thought it right. was another woman. Yes. And it was like, but they were both crazy. They both got, got arrested. And uh, and then management was at the gym right here, like the little gym facility. Uh-huh. And she was like, nothing crazy's happened here in quite a while. Like straight up said that. Cut, cut, cut. And I and, and so she closes the door of the gym and I just hear, <laughs> cut, 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 cut. And I sit there and the first thing that goes through my head, literally, the first thing that goes through my head is, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And then I called it out. And when I called it out, I remember specifically, I said, I either have fireworks or a lot of gunshots in me units. Mm-hmm. And then, as soon as I start walking towards where I heard it coming from, or slight jog, as I'm like low-key shitting myself, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I'm heading over there, and sure enough, they're like, he went that way, he went that way. Oh, shit. So he pops out of an apartment like that he had went into, mm-hmm. and he comes out and ends up being a local, and he was like, I was like, are you shot? Are you good? Because I'm immediately thinking, victim. Are you shot? Are you good? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've been shot before. I just need an ambulance. I don't need the police. I was like... That sounds about right. But as he was saying that he was shot, I'm like on the radio like, I got one shot! You know, <laughs> that's, that's what, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's what I heard. You know? That's all I heard. But, you know, he ended up charged later and stuff like that. And, you know, he just brought the wrong gun in the wrong gunfight. You know, they ended up finding bullets like in like people's AC units. No way. Like, cause I, rem- guy, I remember. That guy fired, like, anywhere from, like, I think it was, like, 17 rounds, they said. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a but lot. We were pulling, we were looking at, we were impounding cars out here because they were all in yeah. the cars. Well, no, that, so, like, six months later, um, somebody's, like, AC unit or whatever wasn't working, and so they went to go figure it out, and there was a freaking bullet lodged in it. And What's that's wrong here? I mean, literally, it's like, the, it's like the guy literally, like, closed his eyes I don't, that's and so, just started pumping out rounds, you know what I mean? So... so but yeah, yeah, street justice for you, dog. That's right. But <laughs> are we gonna? Are, should I? Should I even go back at this point? <laughs> I, I just feel like uh, what I want to know is when did you identify the issue, and then uh, fuck. and then when did you start taking proactive steps to to overcome what you were going through? So we had another. You know, there was another incident where dude murked his girlfriend, and then stabbed another guy he rolls out of a window and so like i i feel like if i were talking to a therapist the therapist would say so most of your problems come from calls for service and i feel like that would be easy to it's an easy pass it's it's an easy pass but then you have to also admit that like my i was drinking a lot my i was getting fat well this whole thing and i was feeling like crap about myself because i used to be an i was an athlete and now I'm in a job where I don't have the opportunity to work out or do any of that. And I'm just drinking every night trying to wash away the pain. And I'm getting fat. My marriage is, is imploding around me. Now I have this one call. And I remember, like, holding this guy. He's been stabbed a lot. And it's like one of those, like, it's a lot of blood situation. You know, like, when you walk up and you're like, do I need to put I a tourniquet that. on I this? I didn't and go it's in, like... but I saw the scene from outside. I mean, you could see it from the window. So... I watched this guy murder his girlfriend from the outside because, like, I watched him deliver the final blow, and it was it was unbelievable because he had a knife, and he drove this knife so hard through this woman's body it sounded like a gunshot. And I'm already like at victim number two, and I'm I go, I'm holding his head, and I'm like trying to put pressure like on his like lower half, like I can't really tell what this bleeding out of, 
and uh, he starts going in and out of consciousness. So I grab his hand and I'm like squeezing his hand, trying to keep him awake and shit. And he's like biting my taser cartridge because he's in so much pain and he's he's dying. Like he looks like he's dying on us. And he's like, hey, I need you to just go make sure my, my sister's okay. Like, can you please make sure my sister's okay? And I'm like, yeah, bro. Like, we got her. We got her. You know, we're going we're gonna to get her out of there. She's dead upstairs, you know. And this guy just keeps going out, and we're, we're trying to control the bleeding. So we get him out of there. We get the guy in custody. A couple of heroes went in there and took that guy into custody. I mean, I won't say their names, but the, you guys know who you are. That was fucking gutsy what you guys did. And, uh. I'm glad that you all got the recognition for what you did to get that guy into custody with no further injury to himself, might I add. So I get up and I'm covered in blood, like my hands are dripping, my arms are covered, my legs. And I remember there was a supervisor there and he was like, who's taking primary? And I'm like, this is my beat. So I'm taking off my gloves and I'm like, all right, I guess I'm primary. I don't know why that fucked me up. Like, I don't know why that scene fucked me up. It was just a lot going on. Think about why it fucked you up. It was just I a mean, lot. It was just a lot of shit. Anybody would be fucked up by yeah. that. That came there way after the fact <coughs> from just looking up in the window that was still open. Yeah. Like how bloody it was in there. I mean, oh, that it was, was a holy... It was, it was a disgusting crime scene. It, it was. And I can only imagine what had happened. So, wild enough, even though I wasn't there, just thinking about what had happened made my stomach curl. So, when you say you don't know why it got to you like that. I mean, replay it. <laughs> like yeah, that, that is exactly what happened. You know what I mean? That is exactly what happened. I remember standing up from that and after saying, like, I'll take paper, like, I'll take the report. I walked over to my cruiser and I threw up right there. I threw up everywhere, right at the back of my cruiser. When I come home and the thing that you got to understand is when you have a, a spouse that's not in this profession at all, they're not going to get it. Yeah. They're not going to understand it. You know what I mean? But it makes it really hard because you're like... I want to talk to somebody. Yeah. Like somebody help me process this. So I, I wasn't getting that help at home and I was in, in inevitably making things worse. And she was making things worse because we were both just giving up on, on each other. So we divorce, <coughs> excuse me guys, I'm still fighting a cold here. We divorce. It was really brutal. She told a lot of people that like I was suicidal and that I was a threat to myself, tried to get me TDO'd. For those of you that don't know, that's when somebody and like a law enforcement officer would come and take your rights away because they think that you're a threat to yourself or others. Right. And that really, it's well, forced well, treatment. it's forced treatment. And some people need it greatly. Some people definitely need it. People that, but some people will abuse that system to get some sort of revenge or vengeance on somebody else. Yeah, and it really does fuck with their lives. Need it or not, it's not that she even had the proper information to <clears> go with something like that. It was more of just to, to get it out on you. Right. And uh, it took my dog, man. It really pissed me off. And uh, I'm rebuilding at this point. I'm trying to rebuild. I recognize that there's a problem. And I'm trying to rebuild. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to be okay. I just need to, I need to get this shit under control. I need to focus on work. I need to focus on myself. Let's get off midnights for a little bit. Let's go to evening shift. Let's hang out with some different people. And let's kind of like recarve you know, my existence or my being. And I do that. And I'm in a good place, man. I'm loving evening shift. The shift is gravy. It's, you know, it's not gravy. It's a hard ass shift. There's, it's, it's, it's literally the busiest shift you can imagine, but it's all the stuff that I like to do. And it was a really great group of officers that had my back, good supervisors. It was awesome until our situation. And we go to, we go to a robbery in progress, armed robbery. We get the guy, guy's violent as shit. 
we do a show up, which is when we bring the victim by to identify whether or not the suspect is the guy that did it or not. We get a positive ID. I look over at Dylan, and I'm like, this guy's going to fight. So we're going to run up on him, and I'm going to get him on the ground, and I'm going to have you put him in cuffs. And Dylan looks at me, he's like, bet. <laughs> so the guy's pre-assault vindicators all day, curling his fist, saying he's going to fuck us up, saying he's putting more of us in the hospital Known than we know. Fighter. Known police fighter. So uh, we get the show up done, and the guy's like positive. So I'm like, turn around, you're under arrest. And he goes, fuck you, you're going to have to fucking come up here and take me. And I'm like, bet. bet. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Guys, we wrestled that guy. guys, I'm an idiot. At that point in time, I had full authority to tase this guy. I had full authority to deploy OC. What do I do? Well, we both did it. I know, we, I know, we both we're just stupid. Jump on him. We both just run up. It was I, almost like a sick, like, really? <laughs> you know? I, put, I run up on him. I put him in a tie clinch. He's trying to hit me, At but he... you have the excuse of being a prior fighter, so, like, you know... And, and still actively training. Sure. Like, you know, I don't have... So he's, try, he's trying to, like, punch me. And I'm, like, skating the punches with my elbows. We kick his legs out. Put him in cuffs. The whole fight lasts, what, 20 seconds? Yeah, it wasn't long. It's over. We take this guy to jail. We have to pull over halfway through because he's kicking out my partition and yelling about his handcuffs being on. So the guy hates me. Wants nothing to do with me. Dylan fixes his cuffs. We tell the jail we're bringing somebody violent. And usually when you do that, you, you know... Er, uh, 325, I'll be uh, signal three to booking with uh, one disorderly male. Have uh, deputies meet me in the sally port. Usually, what does that mean, Dylan? Usually that means that we get deputies in the sally exactly. port, right? That means that you already have all the assistance <coughs> that you need because they're coming out. And I've never even had that experience before because anytime that I've ever needed them, like they've been there, but you continue. So we get there. We got nobody in there meeting us. We're all alone. And this is where I feel free because before I, I followed you all the way to jail, before you went to the sally port, you're like, bro, go in service. I'm going to have deputies in here to help me out anyways. Yeah. Which was a fair assumption. I mean, like I like I was like, yeah, you're right, because I've had that experience before, and usually they bring like four or five people out, and, they, you know, they, they handle business. But, you know, then hearing the aftermath, which you're about to share, like I'm just like, all right, like I should have just, I mean, I had nothing else to do. I know, and I remember, you, know I mean? like, I remember you coming to the hospital. I could have. So we get him into the search room. And um, I'm there with uh, my partner, who's gonna, who, she's gonna provide testimony for a couple of charges, and then I'm gonna provide testimony for a couple of charges. And they start taking this guy out of handcuffs, and I bend over to the deputy and I like pat him on the back and I whisper into his ears, "I'm not trying to let the suspect hear all this shit." And I was like, "Hey, we just had to fight this guy to get him into custody." I was like, "I really do not recommend you taking him out of cuffs." And I shit you not, the deputy looked up at me and he says, "He ain't gonna fight anybody in here." And he proceeds to take the handcuffs off. I look at my partner, and and we could see all this on camera later when we actually had to watch the video for evidentiary purposes. I look at my partner, and you just see me shrugging my shoulders like, whatever, man, I tried. So we go into booking, and the way that our um, our like booking magistrate situation is set up, because we're in the Commonwealth, so we have a magistrate. We walk up to the magistrate window, and there's a glass-plated window or a plastic window, whatever it is, and you stand right there shoulder to shoulder with your suspect. Yeah, because you're stuck in a, it's like a quarter. It's like a little divvy. Like a little, I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but there. It's a what? It's a divvy. Oh, it's a divvy. I don't know. <laughs> okay. It just sounded good. We'll, we'll go with that. We'll go with that, but it's like a little, it's just like a little area where only, only two to three people could even fit in that. So you're just like, you're like literally like nut the butt with your suspect. And he's uncuffed. And you just had to fight him, and here you are, gonna, you're going to tell somebody who he's never seen before all the stupid shit that he did to, to lead you there. And that's exactly what we do. So we, I present my testimony. My officer 
presents her testimony. And uh, then he's given an opportunity to speak to the magistrate. And he starts getting a little agitated, starts getting a little vocal because she's obviously already made her determination and he's calling us liars. And she tells me to offer him up a seat. And I, um, I step away and I motion to the blue benches that are there in our booking. And I said, you know, go, go over there and go sit down. And as I'm looking back to him, the punch is already coming. Like it's already, it's maybe like six inches away from my face by the time I pick it up. And guys, this is just bad on me. Just bad officer safety. I should have never taken my eyes off that guy. I knew he was violent. I dropped my guard for one second. That was the first time I've been sucker punched in my life. It's never going to happen again. But man, that punch was uh, coming. So he, he hits me and, my, and I know my head snaps back. And this is where it all gets kind of blurry because he hits me and I know I'm back in the fight. But then I just remember like, you know, when, you, when you're in a dream and you feel like you're falling and then you wake up. That's what I felt like. And when I wake up, he's just choking me. He's just around my throat. But I got him into guard somehow. Like in jujitsu, when you're in the guard, it means the guy's on top of you, but you got their, your legs wrapped around their waist so you can try and posture up and get out, escape. And I don't know how I got here. I just know I wake up and I'm in this position. So I'm like, I'm in a fight. So I start to throw an elbow into this guy's face. And my partner, she reaches across, and all I see is her hand come out of nowhere, like the hand of Jesus. And she just covers my eyes. And they unload a whole can of OC on this guy right while he's on top of me. And I get it all in my mouth, and I can taste it, but they've already ripped him off. So, like, I stand up, and I spit in a sink, and all the OC comes out. So I'm like, good. You know, my partner saved me. She saved my eyes. So that was good. Um, we didn't know until we went back and watched the tape that what happened was he hit me, and then after he hit me, he tackled me over a set of stairs, grabbed my throat, bounced my head off of the ground, and then started to choke me. I was kind of out at this point because all I remember is – the hit and then the waking up on the fall. But apparently as we're falling, I put him in a guard and I started trying to, to fight him. But I was, that was just muscle memory at that point. That was just, you know, fight or flight. So I go back to work, man, a couple days later, I'm like, I've been hit before. I'm a fighter. I know what this is. I'm fine. I got a couple, I got a couple scratches on my face. My lips fucked up. I'm good. Flash forward three days. I'm sick as a dog. I'm throwing up everywhere. Every time I go to a priority call, every time my heart rate gets jacked up, I'm losing my shit. I can't look at my computer and then look outside because it's dark outside and the screen is bright. And every time I look at my computer and I look outside, the whole scenery is going in blank. Um, I'm seeing things. I'm hallucinating. Like, I feel like I'm losing my shit. So I tell one of my supervisors and because I'd already been cleared medically by the, by the city, they're not thinking that anything medically is going on with me. So they're like, well, you must, you must have PTSD. You must need therapy. So out of the goodness of his heart, he gets some, you know, some funding together for me so I can go see a therapist. But in my mind, I'm like, that's not what the fuck's going on here. Something's wrong. So I go and I see my own head doctor. What do they call him? I'll yeah, think no, of it here in a later. I have no idea. Neurologist. I go see my own neurologist. And so I go to a neurologist. My, my own neurologist, you know, I, I didn't know if they were in the network or whatever. Just workers comp or whatever. But, um. They're really, really high at reviews, and that's usually how I shop for doctors is a ZocDoc or anything that I can get reviews on. And they do some tests, and she comes back in the room, and she looks at me, and she goes, I have really bad news. You're, you're never going to be a police officer again. And I'm like, what? Excuse me? 
what are you, what do you mean? You know, I came in here just to, because I thought something might be wrong. What's wrong? Well, your artery in the left side of your throat is collapsed. So you're only getting blood to your brain from the artery on the right side of your throat. And the brain waves on the left side of your brain look like somebody who's basically in late stages of Alzheimer's. Okay. What the f do we do now? You're you're done with work. Okay, you're you're done. You're going to be on disability. How long is this going to take? What's my what's my diagnosis? What is this? It's post concussion it's post concussion syndrome. Which is a traumatic brain injury. It's a form of traumatic brain injury. And I'm like, well, this is not good. And this is, and keep in mind, I'm working two jobs. Like, I'm working for my dad still, and I'm working for the department. And now she's telling me, you can't work either job. You can't work out. You can't be out in the sun too long. You basically need to stay inside until you get better. And that could be two months. That could be five months. It could be nine months. It could be a year. God damn it. You know, now I'm, I'm, I was in a good spot. You know, I had, I felt like I had gotten out of a lot of like dark circles. I felt like I, I was a little bit more mindful of my depression. I was a little bit more mindful of like negative thoughts and me being negative. And now I had gotten a new girlfriend. I was, I was in love again. Like all these things seemed to be like going good. And then just no, you know, it's like the fucking devil looks down at you and he's like, ha you. So now I'm on full disability. I can't come to work. I can't work any job. So now I'm losing, I'm, I'm hemorrhaging money at this point, trying to just pay my bills. I go into a shitload of debt. I'm still in that debt to this day, trying to work it off. Um, there's nothing I can do for my injuries except get compensated by workers comp. So they take, they take care of my medical bills, but like there's nothing they can do for me for my lost wages. Granted, I still get paid my base. I've, feel important to say I'm still getting paid my base police salary, but as any cop out there knows, we don't make our money on our salary. We make our money in our overtime and in our details and in any other extra jobs that we can work. 100%. So I'm losing that. I'm still going through, I'm still like trying to finish my divorce. That's a nightmare. This is not good. That is not a happy ending to a, to a romance at all. I have my new girlfriend who's trying to take care of me. And I feel like an asshole now because like, I was good. I was super cop before, and now I'm, I'm a fucking potato. Like I can't do nothing, and she's trying to take care of that. This is the worst, and to make it worse, and this is the only thing that I will ever tick on my department, because I love the agency that we work for. I've said it before. I love our people. I love every. I love our agency. I truly do. They didn't tell anybody what happened to me. They didn't tell anybody. So I was out of work for almost four months, and I got maybe two fucking phone calls on people checking in on me and saying, what happened? Or are you okay? And then when I came back, everybody was like, oh, I thought you got fired. Or I thought you quit. All my court cases got dropped. Like all the work that I had done. And I had had some big cases. I had a couple big gun cases. I had a couple large narcotic cases. They all got dropped because they thought I was gone. And it's like, why didn't you have my back in that? Like, why didn't you tell people what happened? A, it's a training point. It's a good training point for people to know what happened to me so it doesn't happen again. And B, I was alone. It was me and my girl. And like, I, I know one of my field trainers reached out to me and he's a boxer. 
And I'll never forget what he said. He was like, bro, I got, I've been sucker punched twice in my life. And I learned from both of them. And I was like, that's so something he would say. Exactly he, he checked on me. And another, and another friend of mine, who's now with the FBI, he checked on me fairly regularly. And, uh, and my other officer that's injured that no longer works, she checked on me periodically. Because now, ironically, we're dealing with the same thing. We're both dealing with brain damage. Here we are today, and I'm still dealing with the effects of that injury today. And I will deal with the effects of that injury for the rest of my life. Like, that was a lot of shit that I just got off my fucking chest that I really didn't want to tell anybody. And I hope that it doesn't change anybody's opinion of me in working and um, in moving forward because I have exhausted myself a lot uh, to to give people a good impression and to make people feel like I'm the, like a guy that they can come to if they need help or if they're struggling. And I hope that what I just shared doesn't change that. But um, we've got to do a better job of taking care of ourselves and I'm I am I am the I don't know what to say I've learned that it'll affect the right people yeah you should focus on you're gonna affect the right people I've lived my entire life in the fear of opinion of others my entire life to the earliest stages of childhood I can remember even as early as elementary school when I was that kid getting picked on bullied crying every day like all the way up until now like or not so much now but coming into the police department and trying to be I've been I've been so many different things in my lifetime that finding myself was the hardest I've tried to be my mom's from West Virginia so I've tried to be a redneck <laughs> you know because I have a slight country accent so I just oh maybe people like that version of me so I'm gonna do that sure I've been on the I've been the other opposite side where I look like Eminem God you know damn, I, mean? I know I that's got right. my pants all the way down to my, you know, behind my knees because I thought, okay, well, maybe people like me that way. What you'll start to notice is that the message that you pushed out is so powerful because of the amount of people that have respect for you that we work with that you're going to save somebody's life. Because the biggest key turning point is it took, and a lot of people are there, but it took you that much for you to be like, okay, I need to get my shit together. Yeah. And the important thing is, is not letting it get to that point and you teaching other people that you don't have to get to that point. There's one key fraction in all of this, and I dealt with it and you deal with it, and a majority of people that in our profession or everywhere deal with it is alcoholism. Alcohol is, drinking, is your enemy. <clears throat> drinking is, is meant to amplify an already good experience. So you go out with friends, you have a couple beers, the emotions start coming out, but it also doesn't work in your favor when you're in a negative mentality. Yes. I mean, there's times now where if I go out to drink and I have too much, I fall back into depression because I'm like, why did I do this? It happens, even to this day, when I try to have a good time. And so now I've learned to regulate it. I still like to drink. Don't get me wrong. Sure, me too. I still like to have a drink. My, my big thing now is like I just go to the bar, I grab I grab like some Woodford Reserve. Woodford Reserve. Yeah, so I can say <laughs> That's it. some wow. bougie shit, son. You know what I mean? I grab some of that and I just sip on it and I won't even have like a double. I have like a single and let it last an hour. Yeah. Just enough to feel that something's there and then let it go. You know what I mean? And because I don't, I don't want to go back and I feel like yeah. <clears throat> I don't want to go back to that because I know that with myself, and everybody needs to know this, and 
and I know it just as well as Daniel's, is this is a lifelong endeavor of self-improvement. It is not something that you ever stop doing. It's something that you do every day, in and out, just like you breathe. And the more conscious you are of it, especially in a position where you're experiencing a lot of drama, potentially outside and inside of the profession, it's extremely important to know that these are things that you have to do to be able to push forward. And I want you guys who are listening to really take in what Daniels was talking about because being somebody who's not like me, who is who I'm very, very open and I wear everything on my sleeve to where Daniels is not. Before you came on this podcast, how many people do you think know that story about you? Two. 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 One... one. Uh, one of those people had just been involved in an officer-involved shooting, and I was trying to connect with that that officer, and because they were feeling, you know, complications about their situation, and I felt that it was necessary to to tell them. And the other person was my wife, you know, and she was the one that called me out on my bullshit. You know, she was like, "You can't." She's like, "You're you're you're a fucking liar." Because you spend all this time trying to help people. You spend all this time on the phone with your other officers telling them to go to therapy and telling them to get help. And then you're sitting here killing yourself every day. Yeah. So she, shout out, shout out to my boo. She, she keeps me honest. <laughs> She's a real one. She's a real one, man. She's and a she, real one. she keeps me honest. And she, she has been with me through the worst time of my life, times two. And she continues to help build me up and help create a better life for ourselves and hopefully some kids someday. And, um, I got lucky. I don't know what she's doing with me. She could have had anybody in the world, but she wanted to be with me and I, and I got really lucky with her. And, um, I'm thankful every day that I've had her with me to go through this. And I, and I'm sorry. I apologize to her that she was, she had the rotten luck of coming into my life right in the middle of me dealing with yeah, all but this I shit. I guarantee you that her helping you with that helped her find a purpose. I hope I can only hope. I mean, she's still here. She's so I think we don't take that into account how easy it is to just leave. She didn't leave. You know what I mean? And I've, I've also, I don't remember where I read this, but I did read it somewhere, and it, and it really resonated <coughs> with me, especially with me growing up with a very strong mother. Behind every strong man, there's an even stronger woman. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And in your I scenario, that's, that's true. Or, or just loved one, you know? Yeah, I mean, it could, yeah. So that's the way a quote goes. You could kind of bleed that into wherever but the thing is is that usually the thing I want to drive home and this is for anybody not everybody's going to be ready to listen to your story no but everybody in our profession needs to hear it correct 100% because it sneaks up on you it sneaks up on you quick it sneaks up on you and it bites you in the ass and as we can tell is that it for some of us, it ultimately takes our life. Yes. That's what we don't want. And a lot of it literally comes to the root of not communicating. What I've learned to come up with, and some people might like not like the way I word this, but anybody in this profession is a little bit up in their own way. So we're all dealing with something. You know what I mean? But it's important that we keep reminding ourselves and each other it doesn't have to be like, because you know we're not receptive to this. That's why before we came on this podcast, 
And Daniels was like, am I allowed to cuss? And I was like, well, I'm not going to have you talk like you don't talk. Can you imagine how awkward it would be to try to tell a story and you'd be like, mm, you know, not, no. We're trying to bring this into a really rare white. We don't want a very real light. We don't want you guys to, you know, hold hands and sing kumbaya. That's not what I'm, what we're getting at. If that's your way of dealing with things, perfectly. But in my experience, us as cops, we like to get slapped in the face. So this is supposed to be a slap in your face. This podcast is going to be a slap in your face of empowerment. A slap of your face of finding your purpose. A slap in your face of you're not alone. And if you don't believe that you're not alone, look at the statistics. You don't have to look far to find somebody who's dealing with what you're dealing with. And it doesn't matter to what level. It took me forever to figure that out. I always thought that my problems were not significant enough to bring to somebody else because I knew other people were going through more than me. But I don't care what the issue is. If whatever issue you're dealing with, I don't care how big or how small, is gravitating towards you wanting to end your own life, then it is time to say something. And I believe that it is our job to check up on one another. You don't have to like the person. You don't have to be best friends with the person. But we're all in this together. They talk about the Thin Blue Line family. We are a family. There are probably people that I work with that maybe I don't maybe I don't agree with or I don't get along with, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to run into a, a firefight with them. I'm going to do that regardless. So it shouldn't be any different with reaching out about any issues that they might be having or we might be having. You don't have to look far. And so, as you can tell, as a wrap-up of this podcast, what I'm hoping you learn from this is There are going to be a lot of people who share the same story as Daniel's and the same story as me. And I want you to listen to this podcast and relate it to yourself to remind yourself that A, you're not alone. And B, that it's only one little thought in your head of self-improvement that gets the ball rolling in the right direction. It's just one. And it doesn't matter what you've been going through or how much of a low you hit Everybody needs to be cognizant of their own mentality, especially in this profession. Because as Daniels has and as I have, we have allowed the profession to amplify our our negative mentalities, to fight against ourselves. But both of us have had, in a relatively quick amount of time, a turnaround in mentality, which has led us into being purpose-driven, which has allowed me to get into a bunch of ancillary duties and actually love going into work. I mean, not every day, let's be realistic. But I enjoy going into work now. I don't dread it. I like to do things outside of work now instead of just sitting on my house. It's crazy how as my work life got better, my life at home got better. And as my life and vice versa. If I, get, if I take care of all the things that I have set out for myself to do in a given day, then I'm going to feel good when I go into work. And the same thing, Daniels will tell you the same exact thing, because he has things in play that he participates in, and he, and, and he does, and, and they work literally hand-in-hand hand with having a successful life and a successful future. I know a lot of people say you got to keep what's at work at work and what's at home at home. Sometimes it's, not, it's impossible to do so. But if that is something you truly want to do, and you really want to keep things separate, then you need to start reaching out to fellow officers, because your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your dad, your mom is not going to understand what you're going through because they're not in this profession. 
you need to reach out to somebody else in blue and have them steer you in the right direction. And it is up to us as officers when somebody does reach out to be receptive of that. Yes. Because we focus so hard on saving the lives of others we don't know that we, we take a back seat to those we do. And so it's important that we look out for one another. Before we close, I want to give a couple of contacts. And this resource build, list will build as we continue forward. But the first one is the Emergency Responder Crisis Text Line. Text BADGE to 741-741 if you're in need of immediate assistance. COP Line is also a place you can call, and it's ran by retired law enforcement. The number is 1-800-267-5463. Those are two things. I'll give you two options, call or text. There's a number of other services. Call somebody, whether it's them, whether it's not, whether it's us. You can DM me at growwithdill, G-R-O-W-W-I-T-H-D-Y-L on Instagram or one less, the number one, L-E-S-S underscore org. Daniels, you want to go ahead and with yours? No, just, I mean, for those of you that are thinking that, you know, what I said about jujitsu and training and martial arts, if that's something that you want to try, um, I obviously encourage it because it's what helps me the most. It's what gives me my sense of purpose. And um, it, it drives me to, you know, continue to be a better person and try and clean my life up so I'm not uh, living in excess and and just being better. Um, reach out to me, david.daniels at onelesstraining.org. Once again, D-A-V-I-D dot D-A-N-I-E-L-S at onelesstraining.org. I'm, par- I'm trying to partner up with a couple of gyms to slide some uh, month training passes. So far, we got one already on board in Stafford, and we're, we're working on a couple more up in, nor- in the Northern Virginia area. If you, if you want to, please reach out, and um, we're going to get those resources out to you guys so you guys can start seeing some improvement in your life the way that we have. Awesome. And just know this. All of our ways of contact is also if you have any suggestions for us. We are very open to constructive criticism. This is a movement. This is something that we both have our hearts invested in. And this is something that we want to make sure is interpreted correctly. And so if you have any suggestions, tips, resources, anything you'd like to do to get involved with this or anything you'd like to do to help us grow into what it needs to be, let us know. Reach out to us. Thank you, Daniels, for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And I continue, uh, I look forward to us continuing to build this up. Episode two with some straight fire. I mean, shoot, if this is the, the second episode, imagine what the rest is going to be like. It's going to be insane. I, I didn't even touch on a quarter of yeah. what I have wrote down at home. So We're going we're gonna to be doing this for a while. We're going to be doing this. for. We're in it for the long haul. That's what it is. We're in it for the long haul. We love to do it. We love to share it. Our hearts are behind it. We're looking out for you guys. Until next time, stay blessed and stay safe. Love you guys. Another day is another day. Thank God for another day. I know they want to see us dead. But this line, it'll never fade.